Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, writer at the Leafs Nation. Nick, our last podcast was over two months ago, May 8th. It was when Miko Lettinen signed. What have you been up to? Uh, just been trying to stay busy, I guess. I've been uh, studying for an exam, which just finished on Monday. So uh, now I'm I'm back to, uh, I, I now have some more time to watch some hockey. And luckily, there will be some hockey pretty soon. So uh, how about you? I hope that exam was on the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, you finally know. Like, there's been so many rumors on what the uh, what the playoff format has been over the last few months. And, and now it's nice to know who they're actually going to play. It is. It's nice to finally see practice lines or training camp lines finally get to see some clips of the players on the ice you know a lot of the reporters were tweeting them out and the the Leafs Twitter page was was tweeting them out uh so I guess we got a lot to talk about today we got about two months to catch up on yeah like those those practice lines are just like it's it's good to be able to overreact to something that's probably pretty minuscule and now on one hand it's like like who cares it's just training camp lines but then on the other hand like if they tweeted out like the expected goals from the scrimmage today i'd be clicking on it so uh i guess it's a bit of a yeah i was watching like the like five minutes of the scrimmage uh while uh i can't remember who it was that was streaming it and you just see like like certain tendencies that you just remember from like a few months ago and it's so weird to be watching like a pr- like a practice in july it just it's just weird to look outside and see the sun and then see the leaves on uh, your computer. It is, and it's going to be weird. Uh, assuming that you know everything goes smoothly and they get these games off, it's going to be weird. Like the the eight o'clock game, the latest game, it's going to be daylight out when it starts. Like it's it's just a different feeling. Not used to seeing games at this time. I don't know if you've been on Twitter at all today, but do you see the ref controversy? <laughs> no, I didn't. So the Leafs had refs at their at their scrimmage the other day and now they're not allowed because the the other NHL teams complained so we already got some uh, already got some drama on day one they're already getting themselves into trouble yeah, and no uh, refs and w- tr- troubles with refs and and the playoffs haven't even started right and Kaji's not Kaji's <laughs> not even here we'll blame it on him anyway though yeah we can blame it on him. <laughs> for let's get into the lineup so again on one hand, you don't want to read it into the lines too much, but on the other hand, it does seem like they're doing this for a reason. Uh, I think it is a good indication of which way they're leaning right now. Um, so I guess there's a couple interesting things, starting with the forward lines, specifically the top six. Uh, we, we saw Matthews with Marner, as I recall, when, when we were playing games back in March, um, for an extended period of time. And now it looks like it's going to be Matthews with Nylander, and, and Zach Hyman. And then the other line, which, you know, Tavares and Marner were very good last year together. Uh, they're reunited with Ilya Mikhaev. Great to see him back, uh, which looks to be more of a checking line um, as opposed to uh, before the break, Tavares and Nylander. They didn't really have a left wing. What's your what's your early thoughts on that, on the top six? It's funny because I think that throughout the year, you and I have kind of talked about the pairings between, um, you know, kind of who you pair between Matthews, Marner, Neil Ander and Tavares, and um, you know it's kind of nice for me to see. I think you can't go wrong, just depending on whether the pairing is. But I personally think that Tavares and Marner is better in the playoffs because you do have two very defensively responsible players, uh, two players that like to play along the boards. Uh, they can win one-on-one battles, and I think that's a, I'm a lot more confident having those two guys up against um, the top lines of the other team. And that's no slight on to Neil Ander or Matthews, but 
I just think Tavares and Marner have already proven themselves against the, the Bruins' top line last year. And Ilya Mikheyev, I've no doubt that he's going to be able to play that type of kind of tight-checking style. So I like to see it. Um, I know we've talked about this a lot throughout the year, and it's nice to see Keith make that switch because, I mean, we really haven't seen, you know, Tavares and Marner together too much since Keith took over. Right. I think, and, and going back to last season, Tavares and Marner were two of the best 5-on-5 five five scorers in hockey. And on top of that, they were playing top lines every night. I do think Marner's one of the league's best defensive forwards. He's just so smart in terms of getting in, in passing lanes. Um, just a really smart player. And with with Tavares, and Mikhaev looked pretty good defensively. He's he's very, I mean, we're going way back to the last time we saw Mikhaev play, um, obviously with the injury, but... He's pretty good at being the high forward in the zone and, and kind of being the responsible one. So I just think that it's a good checking line. It gives them something they didn't really have uh, kind of going into the break here. But I think that's the line that's going to be up against Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, it's going to be a, a pretty good matchup there. I do like having the checking line. And then Matthews and Nylander have a, have a long history of, of success together. I always like that Hyman-Matthews-Nylander line. Uh, from way back. I know now Nylander is probably going to be on the left side. Hyman's probably going to be on the right side. But, uh, you know, the same three players, they, their skill sets complement each other well. I just think Marner... Marner's such a good playmaker, and Tavares is so good around the net that I just think it, they pair perfectly together. And then, you know, Nylander's amazing at entries, and if you can get Matthews the puck in the offensive zone, even if it's not in front of the net, even if it's a little bit far out, He's so dangerous in terms of just putting the puck in the net. So I love the top six. Again, as you said, I don't think there's really a wrong answer. I think the the big thing is these are the six players we expected to see in the top six, and uh, I, I think I, I like it at least. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, even having Hyman with Nylander and Matthews, we, we've seen that sample. Like the, the, those three play together so much, and you can almost picture in your head the way – like a dump and go, Hyman wins the puck, Nylander comes retrieves it, and then Matthews tries to get open. Um, you know, it doesn't always work as swimmingly as that, but um, it's something that we've seen so many times. And if they're, if Keith is able to get that line away from um, the top lines of other teams, whether it's Columbus or, you know, whether they play Boston in the next round or Tampa or whatever, then the Leafs are in a good situation. And as you said, getting Matthews around the net in the offensive zone as as much as possible is, is huge for them. So, um, yeah, I, I like that top six for sure. Okay, let's get on to the bottom six here. So uh, the third line, again, it is training camp, but if, if this were to continue uh, into, say, game one of the play-in, we'd have Pierre, Pierre Engvall, Alex Kerfoot, Kasperi Kapanen. I actually really like that line. Um, and then the, the fourth line, Kyle Clifford, Frederick Gauthier, Jason Spezza. So I think that's what I expected to see, or at least it's kind of the how I expected it to start. Um, of course, there are two players, Dennis Malkin being one, but I think more importantly, the, the player everyone else is particularly interested in is Nick Robertson. So does it surprise me that he, he wasn't on a line of, of day one? Um, I do think that... You know how he plays in these scrimmages. Maybe he'll open some eyes. Maybe he'll get a get a spot. But I do like the line of Engvall, Kerfoot, Kapanen, particularly for the defensive play. Uh, right. I think Kerfoot and Engvall 
specifically are both pretty good defensively. I like Cap and his offense there. Um, I don't mind that line at all. I just think the fourth line, Clifford, Gauthier, Spezza, might be a little bit too conservative for me. I don't think there's there's a lot of speed on that line. Uh, I don't expect them to scratch Clifford. I don't expect them or want them to scratch Spezza. Um, I would probably scratch Gauthier, but um, you know maybe they want him at center instead of Spezza and. Uh, I guess we're gonna see how how Robertson plays in in camp here. But what do you, what's your o- overall thoughts on the bottom six? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit lower on the third line than you are. Um, I love I love Kerfoot there. I think that's where I would prefer him rather than during the year we saw him on the second line of the left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that probably has had to do with injuries, but um, you know he was okay there. But I think I liked him a lot better on the third line. Captain, I think he's a staple on that third line on that right wing. He's done well there. Um, my problem is Pierre Engvall. I have been kind of skeptical of him. I'm not particularly sure. Like, still, I'm, I'm still not really. I haven't really bought into him being a third line NHL player. Um, and that's you know he's, he's been okay, especially in the first half of his uh, from from when he first called got called up. Um, but in the last, I think it was like 20 games, maybe he really struggled to to produce any points. I think. During that time, he was still a very good puck carrier, uh, generated a ton of entries. But other than that, I just didn't really see enough from him um, in the offensive zone. He still is a, is a very good penalty killer, so he adds a lot of value there. But And in the defensive end, I, I trust him there. So I want to see a little bit more from Engvall. Um, it could have just been a little bit of a cool spell, but um, I'm, not con- I'm not completely bought that he's a third-line player for sure. But with that said, I, I just don't think that they have a left winger that is for sure better than him for that spot. I think Clifford should be on that fourth line. Um, and when it comes to Nick Robertson, uh, I like that they have kind of started him. They haven't started him in the lineup to start. I think that the training camp as well is going to really dictate whether he's going to play. But I, I just think that there's, they have so many games in such a little time in that play-in round. I think it's five games in eight nights or eight days. So, you know, I think Robertson's going to get a shot, whether it's in game one or game two. Um, but there, there's going to have to be some sort of um, some sort of replacement rotation going on, especially in the first three games. Um, so I think Robertson's going to get a shot. So uh, we'll see. I think I mean he's been looking good in the. Um, in the practices, and I think he has a skill set where he can add some, definitely some shooting talent, which is going to be extremely important in that first round. So uh, I can help PP2 as well. So I think Robertson has a shot, and he's going to get one too. Yeah, fifth. So first thing I'll address there was Kerfoot at center. I, I do agree with you there that I was adamant during the season that I like Kerfoot at center. Uh, I know with Janssen out and with Mikhaev out at the time, they kind of had a hole in their top six in terms of the left wing spot. Um, but for me, it's so important to have th- like your third line operating. I think when the Leafs were at their best years ago, you had that JVR, Bozak, Marner line. I think Kerfoot is, is almost needed there to have a good third line. Right. Um, that's just important for me. So I, I'm a, I'm very happy that... Kerfoot is where I expected him to be, which is at center, up the middle. Um, I do think that him and Kapanen is, is a good start to a third line. I just like Engvall, how he how he kind of compliments them there. Um, I think he's great defensively. Uh, and, you know, he can go the net. 
Uh, he, he provides a little bit of goal scoring. I do think his offense is, is not going to be his calling card. Uh, as you said, he's great on the penalty kill. I'm fine if they put him on the fourth line, but um, I think I prefer him to Clifford there in terms of being on the third. Uh, right. I think the big question is, as we've, as we've alluded to already, is, is Robertson. Uh, it's going to be interesting because if they decide to play Robertson, I would think they would probably want him on that line uh, just to get him with, you know, Kerfoot's a pretty good playmaker. It gets him a little bit more, you know, scoring talent around him. But I'm not opposed to putting him on the fourth either. Like if it's fourth or nothing, I'll take fourth. I know everyone will complain if even if he's on the fourth, but like Spets is pretty talented himself, and I'd like to see him with Spets. I, I just think it'd be a cool dynamic. Spets is a bigger body, good playmaker. Um, obviously, lots of experience under his belt, and then you'd be you'd be kind of pairing him with a complementary skill set and Robertson, who's you know a little bit undersized but a, a great motor. Obviously, far far younger and, and far less experience, but. He has a shot that could that could really complement Spezza well. So I'm not going to be too picky on, on where Robertson plays. I think you know he'll really help the second power play unit if he does play. He'll add a ton of shooting talent. Um, and as you said, I think the the important thing there is if they're going to win the cup or if they're going to take an extended run because of the the condensed schedule, because of how tight these games are, you're going to have injuries. You might even have a few you know illnesses along the way. I think that they're going to need, you know, 13, 14, 15 forwards. Wouldn't be surprised if Dennis Melgan and Robertson get in because, you know, it's going to be a long haul. Right. And it does feel like they have the depth. When it comes to when it comes to ang- that, that angle and, and that kind of left-wing situation, I think I'm still a little bit sour grapes that Janssen won't be able to play. I think that if he was there, um, it just kind of solidifies that whole top nine. Uh, and but whether you put Janssen in the top six or even keep him on the third line, um, I think it just like, Engvall is able to slide down to the fourth line and really solidifies that fourth line. Uh, we won't get too much into this because Janssen's not not in, but uh, no, I, I think that if he was, it would have just been, you know, he's had a tough year. Um, he's been fighting injuries. He's been a little unlucky around the net. Um, so kind of the things he does away from the puck haven't been as noticed um, as before, but I just think that's such a big loss. Um, the Leafs not having Andreas Janssen. So I am glad that they, you know, Robertson's been able to, to be called up. And now that Clifford, that Clifford trade's looking pretty good right now because uh, they do have a, a, a solid fourth line left winger to uh, fill in there. Yeah, I think with, with Janssen, he's a very good player, like a, a top six forward. Um, but if you could put him on that third line with Kerfoot and Kapanen, you'd have a really high-end third line. So, you know, I, I don't think Engvall, Kerfoot, Kapanen has the same... You know, probably not quite as good, but um, I do agree that if they had Janssen, it'd be a pretty big difference. Um, yeah, definitely not. Moving on to the D pairings. So, I think the first pairing is completely as expected. Jake Muzzin with Justin Hall. Uh, they had quite a lot of success together. Uh, they were they formed a pretty good shutdown pairing. We saw them out, you know, whether it's McDavid, whether it's you know, Tampa's big line with Kucherov. We would see Muzzin Hall, and they had quite a bit of success. So I don't think there's any surprise there. Um, the, the, more of the surprise, if, if you want to call it surprise, would be the bottom four. So you have Riley with CeCe, which I actually don't mind, and then Dermot with Barry. So that would leave Sandine on the outside looking in. 
that's what I was expecting. It's not necessarily that I agree with it, but um, these are the six defensemen that I expected to be in the lineup. And I don't like Riley with Barry. And I kind of think CC is a, a decent stay-at-home type for Riley. So I don't mind the pairings themselves. I would like to see Sandine in, but you know, I, I given that these are the six, I don't really mind the pairings. Yeah, they. Uh, when it comes to the top line, I think that Muzzin Hall has just been so good. That was the least surprising thing kind of in the whole training camp when I looked at, when I looked at the lines. Um, I don't really like Riley CC. Um, and even beside the whole the whole Sandine thing, which is kind of just the cherry on top of him being on the outside looking in, I don't, I don't really agree with. Um, I'm not particularly surprised that we're seeing that in the first few days of uh, training camp. But uh, I thought CC was, was okay based on what my expectations were of him. Um, you know, when you look at the numbers of him in Ottawa, they were not very good. Uh, even the, the, the playoff um, run that Ottawa went the, I think it was 2000, what is it now, 2017 now? Oh, I got, but, I got uh, no idea, but I remember the run. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that run, CC played a lot of minutes for Ottawa, but he got absolutely crushed at 5-on-5 five five during that whole uh, series, that whole playoff run. So um, my expectations were quite low for CC, but um, this year he's been better than what I expected. I think he's decently mobile. He doesn't make as many um, – he doesn't really cause too many turn turnovers, especially when you compare him to Nikita Zaitsev or Ron Hainsey, some right-sided defenseman we've seen in the past. Um, I definitely didn't like Riley Cece as the top pairing earlier when uh, Babcock was the coach. But now with Muzzin Hall, I don't particularly mind it. But And, and I think I was a little higher on uh, Riley Barry than you were. Uh, I know that they had some pretty cushiony... Um, they definitely didn't get top pairing minutes, and especially their utilization. They had a bunch of offensive zone starts. Um, the numbers were quite good. I expected them to be a little bit higher, just given the, how good they are offensively and how many offensive zone starts they had and the players that the forwards that they were able to, you know, that Keith was putting them with. I expected better numbers, but I still think that because Muzzin and Hall is your top pairing, you can have Riley Berry as a pairing and you can give them those types of zone starts. And that's exactly where you want them to be. Uh, I know we've talked about this in the past, but so I, I kind of liked Riley Berry. I, I expected them to be a bit better, but um, I think in a playoff set situation, they could really do some damage against a team like Columbus where the Leafs are going to be spending a lot of time in that offensive zone. Now, to continue with this, like Keith can change it where if the Riley does have an offensive zone start, for example, um, like off a nice thing, he could put together Riley Berry. We've seen him do that a lot during this year. Um, and then for defensive zone faceoffs, have Riley CC. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think that we're going to see Barry Dermott every single shift, every single game. Um, Keith has shown that he makes a lot of in-game adjustments. So, um, and then when it comes to Sandine, I think that he is a legitimate NHL player. I think he should be in the lineup. Um, but I mean, it is still like, what are we, day four of training camp? So I can't get too upset about this just yet. But um, I do want to see Sandine in the lineup. With Sandine, I think we're going to spend all of next season wondering why he wasn't in the lineup. I think he's going to be an impact player right away. Um, just the way he moves the puck, the way he can play physical, hockey, uh, just kind of owns the space, plays well in the corners, plays well in front of the net. Um, I would play him over CeCe. I would play him even over Tyson Berry. I know that's probably um, 
you know, that's a, that's a hot take. That's probably a hot take and surprising for some, but I, I, I do think he's a better defenseman. Um, and then, like, I, I get if you take CC out, you know, if, whether it's Riley Dermott, that would be Dermott on his offside, or Riley Berry, you're not going to have a very good defensive defensive pairing there. And then your third pair, you know, Sandine Dermott or Sandine Berry, again, you're not going to have a very good, you know, pairing defensively there. So I, I do understand it. I do think this is what, what's going to happen is like the, the pairings you see, Riley, CeCe, Dermot, Barry. I think those are the pairings that we're going to see in the playoffs. Um, I won't make a huge fuss over it because this is what I expected, but uh, I do think that Sandine is, is pretty overrated. Uh, sorry, underrated here. Um, we, were, we were about to fight there. <laughs> I, I heard it come out of my mouth. I was like, what am I saying? Yeah. With... Uh, but again, as we said with the forwards, because this is such, you know, the, the time of this tournament is, is going to be so condensed. And, you know, whether it's injuries, whether it's illness, we're going to see, you know, seven, eight, nine defensemen used. Exactly. Um, and if you're going to make a deep run, at least, like if they're, if they're out in three games, we might not. But if, if they're going to make a deep run, if they're going to win this thing, you're going to need more than six, six defensemen. Right. So I'm happy to have that depth, um, whether it's Sandine, whether it's Kelly Rosen, whether it's. Marinson, uh, if you have to go to you know number eight or number nine, uh, I I really don't mind that. Um, so you know it'll be interesting. I think I did not like Riley Berry at all, um, but it does look. I guess the other thing would be the power play. So it looks like Barry's going to be on power play one for me. It's kind of whatever, whether it's Barry or whether it's Riley. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it. Um, but it is the same four they left off with. So Nylander in front of the net, Tavares in in the bumper. Um, you have Marner and Matthews on their one-timer sides. Um, you know, it was funny with, with Nick Robertson filling in for, for Marner on Power Play 1, all the, uh, all the tweets I saw. Yeah. <laughs> Just completely forgot about Mitch Marner. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's freaking out. It's like, it's like, when, it'd be more, uh, it'd be more surprising if, I guess it'd be more, um, uh, not surprising, but significant if he was filling in on power play two because then it might it might look like that's the way they're going to go um i don't think he'll be on power play one i wouldn't mind getting creative and putting him there because i think he's got a wicked shot uh, but it wouldn't be over marner so you know marner's just taking a few right. shifts because he, he kills penalties he wants to practice going penalties um so you know it's it fun to see him i'm sure uh, get those reps but you know, it's not like when we see Tyler Gaudet filling in on defense that everyone's like, "Oh wow, maybe Gaudet will will get in the the D pairings here." Yeah, poor Gaudet got absolutely just. Did you see that little uh, stick list from Matthews in the corner? I was trying to figure out who that defenseman, like who the defenseman was that was going up against Matthews. Is that who it was, Gaudet? Yeah, it was Gaudet. Oh, I didn't know who it was. Yeah, well, I was trying to figure it out. I was like, "Who is that guy?" Like, and then uh, finally, I figured it out and. The, the highlight came a little bit less impressive for Matthews, but, I mean, he does that against good defensemen, too. The thing with the power play, um, one thing that I thought was quite interesting, and this could just be a, a day three training camp thing, was uh, I don't know if you saw Matthews getting double shifted. He also spent a few reps with uh, power play, too. And we've seen Sheldon Keith do things like that, especially with Matthews and Marner, where they he... He, he has played them over 20 minutes a game um, when he took over, something we really didn't see with Mike Babcock. And another thing is we saw Keith play that power play one than more, more than just like a minute, which is what most teams do. So 
I thought that was cool seeing Matthews go on the power play too. Um, you know, in games that Nick Robertson isn't there, for example, or even games that he is there. I mean, Matthews is so good offensively, obviously, that if you put him on one side and Spets on the other, like power play two looks a lot better. And I mean, having a good second power play is huge, especially when you have a Leafs team who has a first power play that's really good. I mean, it's the difference pretty much, you know, you can really move up a few spots in the in the league in terms of how good your power play is if you get a good power play too. So uh, it was cool to see Matthews there. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be very dependent too on things like, you know, was Matt, was Matthews on, you know, the shift before the power play started? Um, was it, you know, a minute and 10 seconds of straight, you know, no whistles or was there tons of whistles? Of course. But now, now that you bring it up, um, I remember last the last playoffs with the Marlies. Keith was coach, obviously. Um, like Sandine was out there for the full two minutes yeah. at, at times. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen Keith with the Leafs in the playoffs yet. Um, I do now wonder. Like we've we've seen him. You know, obviously Matthews' minutes, Mars' minutes went way up under Keith compared to Babcock, um, at least by a couple of minutes. Um, I think. I know, I know it's up. I don't know by how much, but no, that's no, that's right. Um, I think it went up like two minutes or something. But on average, that's that's quite a bit. I'm wondering now if you know what's that look like in the playoffs. Does that go to even greater extent, or is it going to be pretty consistent with what he did in, in the regular? Yeah, well, the th- like one thing that yeah, no, it'll definitely be interesting, especially when the Leafs have struggled this year, um, especially in the second half and um, at generating offense like their bottom six. Um, a lot of that did have to do with injuries, and they had guys like Adam Brooks and Korshkov on that fourth. Oh, Korshkov didn't play that much, but they had guys filling in in the fourth line and the third line. Um, so, but even when they were relatively healthy, they just didn't really get that much production from the bottom six. And I mean, the playoffs, like you got to ride your stars, and so it's nice to see Keith open to playing them more than uh, you know we saw in, we saw in the past. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Just you know, it's kind of a, a mix between you want to play them more versus, you know, with such a condensed schedule, you don't know if they'll be able to, especially if there's more, you know, more back-to-backs. Um, but it'll be it'll be fun to see. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of having these conversations, and I'm glad that uh, we can be talking hockey again. Um, I guess I want to talk about Columbus briefly. I don't want to get too in-depth here, but um, obviously they upset Tampa last last playoffs, um, but not really the same team. Panarin's gone, Borowski's gone, Duchesne's gone. Um, you know, some similarities there. I think it's kind of clear what the strengths and weaknesses are, where the Leafs have more forward talent. Uh, the Blue Jackets are probably better on the back end. Um, but again, best of five. It, for me, it just feels like anything could happen. So almost every series is a toss-up. I do think the Leafs are the better team. I do think they're the, you know, as heavy a favorite as you can be, if that makes sense. But you know, even if even if you're a dominant team uh, versus a weak team, which isn't quite what this is, I think it's sixty forty at best and a best of five. So you know, you need to show up every game because if you if you kind of throw one away, winning three or four is is very difficult. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up last year. I think that they are a very different team than last year. And not only did they lose Panarin and Duchesne, but um, even statistically, Columbus was a top ten offensive team last year. This year, they're a bottom ten offensive team. Um, they were middle of the pack and on five on five defense this year, they are probably the best team at five on five defense. They get really good goaltending. 
Um, so, and it's, you know, defensively, this team is really, really good. So I think this series might be a little bit closer. I'd probably give it, I mean, not too different from you. I still think the Leafs are the favorite. I'd probably give it 55-45 just, just due to the five-game series, due to how good Columbus's goaltending can be. Um, Anderson's going to be huge in this series, as in, you know, goaltending's huge in every series, but when you have a smaller sample than a seven-game series, it's even more important. Um, I think shooting talent's going to be super important in this series, which is why I'm giving the Leafs the edge, um, especially after a huge break. Like, they haven't played hockey since, since February. It's been months. So, you know, the Leafs have a, obviously a lot more shooting talent than Columbus. Um, and also, the, Columbus losing Josh Anderson is huge. So, um, I'm going to give the Leafs the edge, but I think it's going to be a, a pretty pretty close series. Yeah, I think uh, I do think it's going to be close as well. I th- just think like even Pittsburgh Montreal, where it's you know a, <laughs> That's a, a, funny a clear playoff team versus a a team that was certainly not going to make it. I think that's you know sixty forty at best. So I think all these series are going to be very very close. Uh, just kind of the nature of the sport, the nature of the NHL. Um, you know, it's a flat cap league, and then you know people don't realize, but like. I remember when the when the Capitals won, they almost lost to Columbus. Um, and then, you know, you look at a team like the Marlies when they won the Calder Cup, they almost lost to Utica in a five-game series uh, that went the distance. So, you know, these five-game series could kind of, they're kind of coin flipped uh, in a sense. Uh, you you kind of want to, you know, play good hockey. Hopefully you can, you can tilt that to, you know, a 60% chance of winning um, by playing well, but... You know, a couple bounces here and there, a couple of, you know, timely calls can, or timely saves as well, you know, it it can kind of make the difference. So it it is going to be a bit of a, I don't don't know what the word is, but uh, it's going to be a a mess. We're going to see some upsets. It's going to be a coin flip for sure. Like it's going to be close. Yeah. Like even when you, when you look at, you know, just to, to ruin a Leafs fan's day today, if you look at last year, if it was a five game series, the Leafs would have beaten Boston. They were up 3-2, and they won game five. So, I mean, like, that, that might be my – I might be canceled after that. But I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> how, how, how much of a coin flip five-game series are. So, I think you're going to see a ton of upsets in this uh, play-in round. But hopefully it doesn't happen to the league. And, you know, it makes I, – I think just in general, making roster decisions based on playoff series is a poor idea. But going from seven to five makes it maybe even worse. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of across the league, like Besser, you know, if, if Vancouver gets swept in three, does that mean Besser's like completely gone? Um, or if they, if they sweep in three, does that mean that he's, you know, there to stay? It's going to be kind of interesting to see what the fallout is. I did want to ask you kind of about next year's roster. Um, we do have some news, and that news is that it's going to be a, a flat cap going forward the next couple seasons. Um, obviously, the Leafs didn't really anticipate that when they signed Matthews, Marner, Tavares, uh, you name it. I think they, they were expecting, you know, a couple million increase a year. Maybe you were at 83.5 next year. Maybe you were at 85.5 a couple years from now. Who knows? Um, so it does, you know, every, I, I think when the Leafs signed Tavares, everyone knew at that point it was going to be kind of tight for years to come. But it's going to be even tighter than expected. So, you know, does that leave someone like Kapanen on the, on the outside looking in? Does that look, leave someone like Janssen on the outside looking in? Um, 
what's your feelings, I guess, on the Leafs going forward now that it's going to be a flat cap? Yeah, I think it definitely makes the the management of the Leafs' life a little bit harder. Well, a lot harder. Something that they didn't anticipate, as you said. Um, when it comes to, to, I think two of the three out of Captain Kerfoot and Janssen will probably be out, just given the the parameters that they've been given. Um, I think the Mika, the Mikheyev, um contract is huge. Like what what that becomes, and now that's like that's a huge negotiation that needs to happen. Same thing with Dermot. Um, but I think a guy like Engvall is probably out. I think it's a little bit higher. His, um, his cap hits a little bit higher than I wanted. And I just, I just can't see them keeping him. I mean, if they, let's say Janssen's the one who stays, for example, and they have Mikheyev, Janssen, and Hyman on the left side, I just can't see Engvall. Um, I can't see the Leafs affording Engvall. I think he's at 1.3 or 1.2 um, on the fourth line. I think that's a little bit too much. So he's a player that I think is probably, this is probably his last series as a Leaf. Uh, but I, I do think that probably two out of the three of Kapanen, Kerfoot, Janssen are gone, and we'll see what they can get with the return. But with that said, I mean, the, the signings of Verbanov and Lettman, um, those are huge. The, you know, having uh, NHL players that are going to be, that don't really cost that much, that's huge, especially with the flat cap. Um, I think the the improvement over the past year of Nick Robertson and the fact that he is even competing for a spot right now um, probably gives us a pretty good indication that he'll also be competing for and be a legitimate chance of, of him making the team next year. So, and he'll be at an ELC. So those are all really important things that you need to, you need to take in, you need to take into consideration when you think about the flat cap is, is what cheap players are available and which ones are coming into the system. So um, it's going to be tough, but I think the Leafs will be okay. Yeah, I think, so I'm just looking at it now. There's, there's about 1.8 of cap space. Um, before signing Dermot or signing Ilya Mikhaev, 1.8. So that's crazy. And and that's with um, that's with Robertson on the roster. That's with um, Barabanov on the roster. That's with Nikolaitin on the roster, and one extra forward, one extra defenseman. So you know, I think say they move, you know, Kapanen or Janssen, they're both in that three point. One's 3.2, one's 3.4. Um, you know, I think you sign Dermot and you sign you sign uh, Mikhaev and in, in in somewhere in the twos. And I think you can get that in if you just move one of Janssen or Kapanen. I do think salaries are going to be down. There's just not a lot of cap space to go around. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe Dermot even comes uh, with the low twos, like right at two. Maybe Mikhaev's tough, obviously, with, with the injury. To, I think the playoffs might impact his his contract a little bit. Um, but if they do trade Kappen and if they do trade Janssen, I think one thing that's interesting is that they were both pretty pretty heavily front-loaded deals. So uh, Jan- Kapanen is just going to have 5.2 left after this year. Uh, right. He also has a $1 million signing bonus. So if you pay that, uh, you got 4.2 left or 2.1 a year, an actual salary versus a cap hit of 3.2. So there's about a, a million... Uh, gap there so you know if, if you're not a cap team if you're a team like you know Ottawa or potentially Buffalo Columbus Arizona uh, it's tough to say who's gonna be at the cap next year but you know for for one of those teams you get Kevin in for two two years at a discount uh, there's tons of value there and I think the other one you know Janssen he's got 
8.6 left after this season for three years, a $1 million bonus. I know that he was injured, coming off a significant injury, but uh, 7.6 left uh, if you pay that bonus, or, or 2.5 a year, roughly, um, versus a cap hit of 3.4. So again, close to a million in, in gap between cap hit and actual salary. It's going to appeal to some teams. Uh, I do think that uh, at some point I kind of want to look into who, like w when you're trading someone like Kapanen or you're trading someone like Janssen, for me, because of the cap, I'm thinking someone on an, on an entry-level contract coming back. Uh, right. Is that what you're thinking? Are you thinking draft picks? Ooh, no, I, I would hope you get a player back. Um, you know, I mean, I, no, definitely a player back for a player, for a, for players as good as Kapanen or Janssen. Um, yeah, I'm thinking probably an, an entry-level contract or someone that's somewhat underrated that, you know, isn't being paid very much right now. Yeah, like I was thinking, it, it, it's the Leafs are going to have to take on more risk in the deal. Like it's probably going to be capping in for someone who might become capping in. That like someone, for example, like Jordan Cairo. Um, I was thinking like Drake Batherson. I don't know if you'll get him, um, but a, a player who is kind of on the edge of making the NHL. And you know maybe it it the, maybe they're not like as sure of a thing as Kapanen or Johnson, but they have good they have a good chance to be and the Leafs are kind of taking on a little bit more risk in in, in exchange for a lower cap hit. That's kind of what I'm expecting. Uh, I know everyone kind of wants a defenseman, but I I think it's a pretty full back end right now. Maybe they can get someone on the right side. That'd be nice. Um, the other thing I'll throw out there was was I threw out a Marner trade suggestion the other day, uh, <laughs> maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, to Ottawa because I guess the reasoning of this kind of the background was Marner's deal after you pay that signing bonus is so front loaded. Um, so like in actual salary, if you pay that bonus, it's like seven million a year for the for the remaining five years. Um, you know, for a team like Ottawa, that's tons of value. I think you know, for three and five, I'd have to, I'd have to do it. I just think three, the third overall pick, the fifth overall pick is you know ridiculous value, getting them on entry level contracts, and then you have Marner's eleven million to spend. Um, so for me, I'm doing that. I don't think I would do the other one I tweeted out, which is third overall, I think seventeenth overall. Um, but you know, I do think that. It's very unlikely that he gets traded, but his contract at least puts the possibility out there. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably a bit lower on just the whole scenario in general. I think that there are players that the Leafs management would probably trade before that. I, I could see, I think Riley is like a much higher chance of being traded than Marner. Just a hometown guy, a guy that, you know, is probably going to be pretty loyal to the team, even though <laughs> negotiations would, might say otherwise. But, um, I just can't see him getting traded. And I, I don't even know if I would take that deal. Um, maybe that's my my limited knowledge of the, the draft class outside of the top like three players. But um, I just don't know if I would trade a, a bona fide superstar at, at 23 from the hometown. Not like that should matter very much, but I think it does matter in terms of trading a player that good. Um, yeah, I, I, I voted like I wouldn't take that deal. I remember that. I think I said that. I replied to that saying that Mitch would say no. For Well, I guess here's the... So it's $10.9 million player for the Leafs, and he's a $7 million player for Ottawa because they're, if they're not a cap team. 
So that right. it's about eleven million, sorry, four million dollars in terms of the gap there. So you know, if if Ottawa paid fair value to have Marner at seven million, I think you know there's a deal that could work there for both sides. Uh, I do think it is unlikely, and you know, even if you would have told me that this time, I guess not this time last year, but prior to the playoffs last year, that Kadri was going to be traded, I I wouldn't believe you. So I do think that the the, the contract that gap of about four million. Uh, makes it a possibility. Um, if it's third overall and fifth overall, I take that in a heartbeat. I just think you know the, the players are there this year. Um, there's just so much talent at the top of the draft, and then you know Marner is probably a bit overpaid uh, at ten point nine right now. It, it does seem that way, especially with the cap not going up. Um, so if, I mean, if you can use that money to go sign a huge couple big free agents uh, when it's a bit of a weak market. Like a, there's not many buyers, not many teams with cap space right now. Uh, I do think it could make sense. So I'll st- I will say that I think it's unlikely. I don't think he's going anywhere. I do expect it to be Janssen or, or Kapanen, if not both going. Um, but I do think that there's at least a chance. It would be one heck of a trade. It would be maybe like the biggest trade, you know. And I and I know you're just brainstorming, and this is like a. I think it's a I think it's an interesting idea. Um, there's definitely like a lot of merit behind it, but I think it'd be just a, a it would be a a GM defining trade from do this. Oh yeah, it'd be massive. maybe the biggest one maybe ever. And like uh, people respond to me being like, you know, if if you're trading someone out of the big four, it should be Tavares or Nylander. Well, Tavares has a full no move, so that's zero percent happening. And then Nylander is Nylander makes. Four million less than Marner, so like that—that that makes no sense to me. I don't think you're going to get the same package back either. Yeah. Um, so if if one of the big four go, I do think it'll be Marner. I I probably put the odds of him getting traded at like five percent tops, but uh, I will say that I do think there's maybe a five percent chance now versus you know if he signed for eight million or eight and a half million, we're probably looking at you know zero percent. Oh, definitely, yeah, that I definitely agree with. Um... If you have to to choose between, there's a higher chance of, of Riley getting picked. I mean, getting traded or Marner. What would you say? Uh, that's close. I I I don't see Riley going. I think, and I remember when we had Ian on. I love Riley first of all, so I'd have a tough time. I love both players, I guess. So I'd have a I'd have a tough time trading them. Of course. Um, either of them. I I think. I think it's tough to trade Riley right now after the season he had. Um, you know, if you get full value for him and, and there's a deal, it's just because he only makes $5 million, so it's tough to use that $5 million more effectively. Like, I don't think the Leafs could trade Riley and get better because they don't really have the cap space to do so. It, it's such a tricky move. Um, like, there, there, there are some deals. I think in a vacuum they wouldn't get better. Just because how good Riley is, but I think just because of how many left-handed defensemen they get, um, and if they got a good top four right defenseman back, plus you know maybe something else, I think as a whole, as a whole they would get better just because of Riley's deficiencies defensively. But in the trade itself, they might not get better if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you know you could give me some deals that I would certainly look at or have to strongly consider and, and maybe right. accept. I just I I don't see it happening um i know he's got a, a limited no trade as well um 
I'd probably say Marner has a better chance, but it's they're both so low that it's kind of tough to. It's just the cap. The cap hit's the only thing that makes it close. If they're even cap hits, I think Riley would have a much greater chance of going. But ultimately, I think both are going to be loose for for quite a while. Um, before we get out of here, I guess a few, few more. Uh, I guess one last question here. Which series would you say you are looking forward to the most? I know. Here in Toronto, not that you can go see the games, but we, we do have we do have all the series here. Yeah, so in the West, I'll go um, Winnipeg Flames. I think that's I think we just haven't seen a Canadian series in quite a while. A um, little bit of a rivalry there because they're both in the West Coast. Uh, two really fun teams. I really love the Flames. I think they've just got so many fun players. They're strong defensively um, on paper. They've got some fun forwards. And Winnipeg, obviously, another fun team. So that's my one in the West. In the east, I, I guess we can't say we can't say Toronto Columbus, right? So no, that's that's the squad. Yeah, I'll go. Care uh, the Carolina series is okay. I'll go Montreal Pittsburgh. I think it's a it's a funny series, like you said earlier, a team that is probably they're my favorite to win the East, the Penguins, um, and then the Habs that you know most of their fan base were ready for a Lafreniere uh, lottery draft. I know I have a good friend who is currently cheering for, he's, he's a Habs fan, but uh, is cheering for the Penguins because he wants the funny air. So I think that's a funny series. I think that the, five, the fact that the fact that it's five games, anything can happen, and especially when you have Carey Price in that. Um, the Habs are super, very well coached, very structurally good, but uh, you know I'm still going to give the, the nod to the Penguins. I think they're really good this year. But uh, you know that's one that it would be super funny if the Habs won. And uh, Pittsburgh somehow got that first overall pick. That one I'm definitely probably the most excited to watch, Montreal and, and Pittsburgh. I just think if if Montreal wins, you're going to have some house fans that are pissed, especially if they don't get out of the next round. Yeah. And then you're going to have some, yeah. you're going to have tons of Penguins fans that are like, why did we even have to play this series? Um, you know, they might be a little bit happier if they win the lottery, which would be kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I think, I think on like in terms of the, the most even series. I really like the Islanders versus Florida. I think Florida has a chance to to upset there, especially if Bobrovsky is, is playing well. He had a bit of a rough year. Um, and then, you know, Barkov, Huberto, Dodonov. I just like that team. I love watching Florida play for some reason. So that's probably the one I'm, you know, interested in seeing. And then in the West, I'll have to agree with you on, on the all-Canadian matchup there, the Flames and, and the Jets. So... You know, it's going to be, uh, it's weird how the amount of hockey we're going to get every day is going to be pretty, uh, I mean, pretty fun. It's going to be awesome. It is. One of the funny things, like, I don't know if you, um, I, I was watching uh, a Steve Dangle podcast the other day, Chris Johnson was there, who's awesome. Um, and he <laughs> he compared this little tournament to, to peewee hockey, where, so if one, if let's say there's a game at two um, at the Air Can- or Scotiabank Arena, and let's say the game goes to double overtime, Every game after that gets delayed by X amount of hours. That's fine. So you might have the, the Leafs game that's scheduled for 8, and it might start at 10 o'clock. So like, I thought that was so funny, like just having to wait because the Islanders and Florida went to like triple overtime. Wow, I didn't even consider that. It is cool how the games are staggered, though. Like every two hours, we're going to get a new hockey game. Um, 
and because it's best of five, it, like every game matters that much more. Like it's it's even more valuable than a best of seven. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm yeah. Like I, I'll ask you one question here because I know that this is something that comes up quite a bit. Um, you know, this is a completely new thing to everyone, so we're all kind of trying to find narratives um, to how this type of a tournament and the layoff and everything is going to impact the teams that are going to be playing. So when you look at the Leafs, do you think this type of situation benefits them or do you think it hurts them? Having this big break, um, you know, playing in Toronto, playing with no fans, um, or just in general, like whether, whether it's going to help young teams, old teams, or et cetera. I think, it, I think the, the format compared to the original hurts the Leafs. I do think they would have made it on their own merit. Um, to the actual playoffs, so I think they'd be in the final 16 right? instead of you know the final 24. So I think just having to go an extra opponent definitely hurts the Leafs. Um, but it does seem like they are... I also think that a best of five hurts them compared to a best of seven. I think they're better than Columbus. I think you know the better team wins a little bit more often in a best of seven compared to a best of five, where you can kind of luck your way into it. Um, but I do think that you know being, being in Toronto, it does... They do... The word coming out of, of Toronto from reporters seems to be that the Leafs are, are you know, happy that they kind of have a almost like a leg in front of people in terms of, you know, conditioning, in terms right. of uh, the fact that they're already scrimmaging. So I do right. think that uh, they're in a good spot to beat Columbus and, and they're doing everything to be successful. It's just, you know, again, it is a toss-up. So I'm going to say it hurts them overall, but uh, not as much as a team like Pittsburgh who, you know, was definitely making the playoffs and, and now they kind of have a team you know the other interesting thing I think is you know with with Montreal it's like they have nothing to lose right like no pressure on them no one's expecting them to beat Pittsburgh I think that's a little bit dangerous uh, for a team like Pittsburgh so I I don't know if that same dynamic exists with the Leafs but I do think that they'll have certainly more pressure on them than a team like Columbus definitely I mean especially when you're you're in your hometown and obviously a huge hockey market here in Toronto, but and I mean you're 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 paying these the big four so much for a limited amount of time, so this is this is a contending year. So I definitely agree that this is a, I mean they got a this is just like another year um, that they have an opportunity to win the cup. And and I've also seen from the Porters that the Leafs are feeling good. Um, they feel like they have the advantage over other teams starting early and and being in their hometown, um, you know, despite not being able to go see their families. So. Um, I think I said earlier in the podcast, but I think shooting talent is going to be huge, especially in this Columbus series. Um, I'm expecting the – I just don't expect this, this series to be as tight as we see usual playoff series. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more loose. There's going to be a lot more scoring chances. Um, and if it, if, if it is that way, then the Leafs are definitely going to take over the series, especially early on, uh, before both teams kind of settle in. So I'll say that. Um, I think the Leafs do – it does benefit the Leafs. When it comes to young and old teams, I've seen that there's been some narratives thrown around there. I'm kind of indifferent there. Um, I used to think that for players like Jason Spezza, it was it was awesome. He gets a long break um, to recover. He doesn't go into the playoffs after playing a you know 60, 70, 80 games um, year regular season. But then I was actually listening to uh, the shop uh, with LeBron James. It's a great show. I don't know if you watch it, but he, he was talking about the break and he was saying that, um, or actually, you know, maybe it was, his, it might've been his Instagram live. I'm not sure where he said this, but he was talking about himself and he was saying that, yeah, a lot of people are saying that for him, 
um, this break is huge because it's a rest of LeBron going into the playoffs. But he also said that when you get into your, when you get a bit older, your body is so used to that routine and there it's kind of in game mode. And when you go away from the game and you stop playing as much, it's a lot harder to get back into the game mode. So that kind of opened up my mind to, uh, to that narrative there. So uh, now I'm kind of unsure whether it helps young people and old people. And <laughs> I guess we're going to find out regardless. Yeah, I think it would benefit the young just because the game's the schedule is going to be so compact. Um, but again, it's going to be yeah, taking that into consideration for sure. In a five-game series, it's going to be a complete coin flip. I think just win game one is is the the biggest thing, and then go from there. Because if you have to win three or four, uh, and the kind of, there's no there's no home ice advantage. I know the Leafs are in Toronto, but without fans or anything, there's not really. In all these series, there isn't going to be much of a home ice advantage. Uh, going to be a pretty level playing field. Um, so, again, it's going to be fun. I think um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to, to say one last thing here. So we just wanted to wish all the best to Paul Hendrick, who's leading the Leafs Nation Network. Uh, big news today. I think just the the responses we've seen on Twitter from you know former players, reporters, uh, just casual Leafs fans, uh, just seems like a, a very, you know, nice person. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to just see all the, uh, support you've seen online. So I think we just wanted to, uh, wish him all the best before we get out of here today. But, uh, yeah, he, he was awesome. I actually met him once. Uh, I was actually, I was on the, the train going towards, uh, going towards union and he was sitting uh, a block away and I was with a friend and, I just, I just walked up to him and said, uh, we talked like a little bit of hockey. I think I was like, I was like maybe 14 at the time. Uh, we didn't talk for long. It was like a minute, but it was just nice. He was super friendly. Um, I think we were probably talking about Kessel and Lupo, how they were going to play. So, um, but yeah, super nice guy. And it's, it's going to be weird to see, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the Leafs network going forward without him. Yeah. So he, you walked up to him, eh? Yeah. yeah he, he didn't walk up to me. Like... Are you the guy from the Everything Leaves podcast? Well, maybe if we had the podcast back then. 14-year-old uh, Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti doing the, the podcast. That would have been good. Oh, yeah. That would have been uh, would have been something. But anyways, let's get out of here. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, I think we're going to see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>